and welcome. This is the Tomahawk Show, and we're brought to you by Uninterrupted. The boys are back from Minnesota, the land of cold and nice. As yes. they say, it was minus 20, four out of the five days we were there. And the other day, we got four beautiful inches of snow, which gridlocked the city. Uh, but <laughs> let's not talk about the weather, because Minnesota, they were gracious hosts for the Tomahawk podcast, the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts. We had a lot of great guests on the Super Bowl shows. We had two days. We were there uh, uh, Thursday and Friday. We had over 40 guests, some of the biggest names in sports and yeah. entertainment. We had a lot of fun with it. We talked to a lot of people. We shot the breeze. We embarrassed as many people as we could. Yes. We, and even, to, we even turned some people away. We did. We had to turn away some big names. But that's what happens when you're the best podcast in the world. Yeah. So, I'm, look, if, if you're just tuning in now and you didn't get to catch up on the Super Bowl episodes, make sure you do. They're well worth the listen. I think they just surpassed 40 trillion listens. So we could always use 40 trillion in one. Um, for everybody else who has been living under a rock and you've never heard of the Tomahawk Show, it is a podcast between myself, Andrew Hawkins, Joe Thomas. Uh, we are teammates in Cleveland, and basically what this is is we're letting everybody sit in on our locker room conversations. We're very candid, and we are known to have a good time here at the Tomahawk Show. And, of course, as always, we got my man NFD, who does not have a face. He does not have a bio. He does not have a family. He is a lone wolf with no eyeballs. <laughs> and, but we appreciate him here. Uh, I do have a nameless, faceless family. Just, just oh, okay, so you know. yeah, and yeah. no hands either. We found that out on the yeah. Super he's Bowl also shows. handless, handless Dan. <laughs> uh, make sure you listen everywhere. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. We do birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, <laughs> uh, retirement parties, whatever you want to do. Just make sure you subscribe, rate five stars, and as always, hit us up with thoughts and ideas on Twitter hashtag Tomahawk with an H, and you know, make your life better. Coming up on today's show, we recap some of the Super Bowl storylines. We talk about Josh McDaniels leaving the Colts out to dry. <laughs> and as Hawk said, we answer some of those hashtag Tomahawk questions that you sent us on Twitter. So let's like get that. right into these Super Bowl storylines. How about the first one? Let's talk about Josh McDaniels turning down the Colts. Whoa, man. That That's grimy. That was, that was wild, bro. It was funny because the reports were coming out uh, yesterday. Josh McDaniels about to be announced as the new Indianapolis Colts <laughs> head coach. And all of a sudden, the next story was, Josh McDaniels will not be the new Indianapolis <laughs> Colts head coach. Oh, their account tweeted that tomorrow, the next day, he was going to be doing his introductory press conference. He, it, was, it was done, according to them. It's like one of those things, like sometimes news happens on Twitter and I get really giddy because it's like so <laughs> wild that it happened. And that, like, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, are you serious? Because I couldn't wait to come in here and just talk my shit about it. <laughs> so what do you think happened? The, well, the way I look at it is Josh told them they agreed on a contract during yeah. the playoffs. But the NFL rules are such that you're not actually allowed to execute a contract, which is something that maybe the NFL needs to revisit. Uh, something tells me they're going to be taking a look yeah, at that. Yeah, I think they need to take <laughs> a look at that. Um, but so the Patriots lose the Super Bowl. He goes out there and then starts having second thoughts, supposedly. So either he didn't know that he was going to turn down the job or he was telling people that he was having second thoughts. So the Colts thought, well, what's the best way to try to get him to actually sign this contract is we'll just put it out that he already did it and sort of put the pressure on him that he already signed the contract. We're going to introduce him and make sure there's he gets reeled in all the way. There's no way that – this was not a done deal. Yeah, so what do you think happened then? I, honestly, I think he went and he cleaned out his locker and he sat down with Belichick and they were saying their goodbyes to the Kraft family. And Mr. Kraft hit him with the, hey, why don't you have a seat really quick? What, what are you doing? Why, what, are your, what are your goals here? And they got to talking and then he basically said, well, do you want to be the head coach of the New England Patriots? And he said yes. And so to me... This is less about Josh, Josh McDaniels and more about Belichick. It's probably leaving. I don't think he's going to be there for more than a season at the most, too, because I feel like they had to offer Josh McDaniels the head coach of waiting. Otherwise, he will never be a head coach again in the NFL. If he did that to the Colts. That, that was a question I had for you guys. Do you think the bridges are burned with every other team now other than the Patriots? Well, he burned yes. a lot of bridges in Denver because what happened out there was an atrocity. Like yeah. The coaches, the staff, the players, they despised him when he left out in Denver. And, I mean, he got fired, so it was not like he left him, but he just burned that place to the ground trying to be Bill Belichick's super god. And 
instead of being his own guy, he destroyed Denver's franchise. Now, luckily, Peyton Manning decided to come back and do a little cameo and win him a Super Bowl, and nobody remembers that. But <clears throat> he really did a poor job in Denver, and now he's burning these bridges in Indianapolis. And he's really done the flirtatious game for several years now as one of the top names. Yeah, in the coaching and he search. never left. And he hasn't left. So certainly it's going to build a, burn a lot of bridges. I definitely think that if you do a good enough job, there's desperate teams out there that are going to still sign you. Yeah. But it definitely hurts him. This definitely is going to be part of his legacy unless he wins a Super Bowl somewhere as a head coach. But it's quite a risk because, you know, assuming Andrew Luck is going to be healthy in Indianapolis, it's unlikely that Josh McDaniels will be coaching Tom Brady in New England as the head coach. Why? So he's taking a risk that he's going to be coaching whoever the next quarterback is in New England and going to have more success than coaching Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. Here's what I think. I think, and maybe this is me just playing the devil's advocate, I actually, in one in one aspect, I'm like, man, that's, that's screwed up. In another aspect, I kind of respect it for this reason. <laughs> Listen, hear me out on this. Okay. okay, he went to Denver, and like you said, he got all bad reports about him, the way he ran the organization, uh, his, his, the way he was dealing with people, but I've been in New England before, and I know like that way of running is the way that New England is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when everybody isn't on that same page and yeah. everyone doesn't understand that atmosphere and that philosophy, it can come across like, oh, this dude is just an a hole. So maybe in his mind, he understands that I'm best suited here in New England. Period. Like, because I can't go somewhere and start all this from scratch. And, and start from the, the lunch ladies to the cooks to the janitors, work my way all the way up to the president to make sure we all have this, you know, military-style way the of Patriots running. The Patriots way. The Patriots way. Right. So maybe he's like, you know what? If Kraft is saying I'm going to be the next head coach and I can get him to commit to putting that in writing and naming me the head coach in waiting, then that just does half my job for me already because it's the system is already here. This is what I know. This is what I'm great at. I understand how Belichick runs this system, and I understand the only place that works is here, which is why every other coach who leaves New England to go somewhere else is never successful because they never get the amount of time to turn the organization over on its head. Now, and the luck. biggest risk is if you don't win at the Patriots, is that same loyalty going to be to you? If you become the head coach and you start losing, or they stop going to the playoffs at a consistent rate, are they stopped contending for championships? Do you think the Kraft family is going to say, well, we talked you out of going to the Colts. We're good here. I don't know if that's the case. When you talked about the Patriots way, what are the biggest components of the Patriots way? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Both those guys will be gone when he takes over, right? Yeah, yes and no. That, that, I mean, yes, they've run the Patriots way, and Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever. But when I, when I hear the Patriots way, I'm thinking of literally, like, from the time you come in for a workout there, anybody you meet in that building – they understand that things are run a certain way. They understand, like, anyone who ever shows any form of selfishness or making anything in any aspect about themselves, they are gone very quickly. And that's literally at every position in the building. Those are good points. I think uh, people are starting to realize that the ability to take the Patriots' way and implement it in other organizations has a very low probability of success because – you have to be able to couple what you're doing with getting a successful quarterback within a year or the whole thing is going to mutiny on you yes. because it's so miserable and terrible for everyone's lives and careers that <clears throat> nobody's willing to continue to, to follow along the script doing things the way they're doing unless you're having significant success winning. Yeah. And so Belichick, he'll even say it, behind every great coach or player was – a healthy dose of luck. His healthy dose of luck that the reason everything worked in New England was because of a guy named Tom Brady. And he had a great defense when he got mm -hmm. there. Tons of talent on defense and Tom Brady, right? It didn't work in Cleveland because he didn't have that quarterback. He didn't have that nucleus of players. And Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniels, Charlie Weiss. You go on down the list of other guys that have tried to take the Patriots' way and make it work elsewhere – it hasn't worked right? because you got to legitimately have that luck of having that great quarterback and that huge nucleus of players that 
within the first year, you can turn it around and start winning. So people continue to buy in to doing things the Patriots way. Otherwise, yeah. like I said, it's going to be mutiny because of how terrible your quality of life is and you're losing. And like you said, you have to have like your quarterback has to also be in on that yeah. mentality <clears throat> and right. the people upstairs who are selling tickets and all these things like – I kid you not, I, I can't describe enough how everything in that building is linear. <laughs> yeah. Like, it almost seems like everybody is a clone of yeah. Bill Belichick. Yeah. Like, to the lunch lady, like, it's a it's a Bill Belichick yeah. woman wearing a mask and a wig, <laughs> and she's serving you mashed potatoes. Well, like, it's it, wild. It's funny. Both of us have a lot of friends that have worked in New England as coaches, players, mm -hmm. administrators, and they all say the same thing. I'm miserable, but we're winning, so it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and so with that caveat, if you don't have that winning quickly, you're going to have a rebellion. That's what happened with Mangini and with the Jets. Even though they did go to the playoffs, right. guys were just so miserable that the, the rebellion, it bubbles up. And the reason the Malcolm Butler situation happened in New England Great is because segue. Belichick – runs things a certain way, like we mentioned, and doesn't put up with anything and anyone that's making any decisions that aren't in the best interest of the team, 100%. Yes. And he's going to prove to the team that if you don't follow along and do what I say and follow these rules and these guidelines to a T, I will get rid of you no matter how much it hurts the team. Yes. Even if it's the Super Bowl and you're our most important defensive back, right. a la Malcolm Butler. Do they yeah. win the game if he plays? I, I think this, like, and you even said about people being miserable. I don't think everybody there is miserable. I know people who aren't miserable there. Even my brother played. Name names. My brother played there Just three kidding. years, and he swears by New England. Like, he played for Cincinnati for a long time, like, back when they were horrible in the late 90s, early 1000s, and then he played for the Carolina Panthers. He's old. The 1000s? Yeah, like, early 2000s. Oh, 2000s. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> But he, he, like, swears by his time. Really? He loved it. He so what loved did he like about it, though? Because I haven't ever heard that take. Because it's, like, a certain amount of – it's a certain kind of person that can come there. It's always tough for – not always, but there's veterans or whatever. Like, you become accustomed to a certain way of doing thing that works for you, and it gets flipped on top of its head when you go to New England. So that's tough. There's players who haven't experienced other things that only have been in New England but see other guys where it may be a little easier. They may be some, some corners being cut. They might be still effective. They're not as successful as the Patriots, but it's like, okay, well, I would, I would get rid of some of the, the, the military attitude here to have a little fun and maybe jeopardize a couple of wins here and there. But my brother, he loved it. He loved the, trying to beat Tom Brady to the facility. He told me a story one time. Uh, he showed up when he first got there. Meeting started at 7. He got, meeting started at 8. He got there at 7, and the whole defense was in the weight room looking at him, and they were like, what did you you know, what happened? Did you get in a car accident or something? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, why are you just getting here? We're here every day at 445. Mm -hmm. And so it started to like yeah. everybody was there at 445 lifting weights for hours yeah. and hanging out and then watching film together. And nobody ever beat Tom Brady to the facility and nobody was ever there when he left. So Tom Brady was always last and he was always there first. But I'm just saying there's guys that do like it now. See, I could like that. And that's not even what I'm, t I'm trying to get at, though. For me, it's just the absence of fun. An enjoyment, like yeah, <clears throat> I I loved being there longer than everybody. I loved working harder than right. everybody. I loved studying more film and having more preparation and having everybody on that high level of work ethic and accountability. Like those were hallmarks of who I was. But that's different. Or I though. am in my career. That's definitely. But who that's you what are. I'm saying. But that the, the bar is like the hardest worker in Cleveland isn't. Is a little easier. Not that that's where you're at, but in New England, like the bar is set really high. Like I would always say, like here we run sprints, right? You would if you looked over to wide receivers, Joe. You knew if I was out there that I was going to be the first one finishing, right? Mm -hmm. I was always going to be in the front. That was easy. When I got to New England, that was a crapshoot, and not because I was working less. It was that all ten guys have the same exact mentality, yeah. and they're all sprinting and trying to finish first and everything. So it was like it made things a lot harder because I couldn't win as easy. Mm -hmm. So it was like a different bar mm -hmm. to kind of raise and set. Mm -hmm. 
You know, and I think overall, some guys like I think it just wears thin on guys a lot of times, and I think yeah. that's what the Malcolm Butler situation is. Yeah, to, I guess I haven't been there, so I can't speak on specifically what you're talking about in your experience. Uh-huh. To me, you're making that sound awesome to me. I'm like, <laughs> like sweet, a, a bunch of guys that want to work as hard as me. And Do like I love New England Patriots? Maybe now? I really love the Patriots <laughs> way, but uh, just from my experience having coaches playing for two coaches, Eric Mangini and Romeo Cornell, that were in New England and tried to bring that mentality here. It's just the absence of the smile and the enjoyment of the hard work. Right. That, and maybe Bill, Bill's a different animal than some of those guys, and maybe he runs things differently, but um, just the non-football-related stuff, yeah. the mind games, is the stuff that I've always had a hard time with. Like, <clears throat> you know, when, when Eric Mangini was the head coach, we'd have to memorize these quotes that were like, scavenger hunt left around the building. Like, you know, uh, durability is more important than ability. And uh, uh, every battle is won before it is ever fought. And like, you got grilled on that stuff. Oh yeah. You got grilled on this stuff in the meetings. Like instead of looking at my playbook, instead of learning my plays, I'm like being asked, where these quotes are on the scoreboard in in front of my teammates and humiliated and made to feel like I'm a moron if I didn't know what these quotes were, but yet I'm just trying to get better at football because to me it was always about football. Right. But the way I see a hallmark of the Belichick Parcells tree, and I'll include Nick Saban because he's worked with Bill a lot, is that the only person in the building that's allowed to be selfish is Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, Nick Saban. Everyone else has to make every decision based on what's the best interest of the team. But yet when it comes to being the head coach, he's allowed to make decisions that are in the best interest of himself. Now, granted, a lot of times those interests are aligned, right? When the team wins, the head coach has personal success. So clearly, usually, anytime the team is doing better, the coach is going to be doing better. Now, the only time that the team and the head coach don't have their interests aligned is contract negotiations. And Bill Belichick, and I don't know Parcells, but um, Bill has always done a great job of sort of shrouding any contract negotiations, any information whatsoever regarding his contract and his pay from the team in secrecy. And therefore, nobody ever talks about it. Nobody ever knows about it. So the one time where the interests of the coach and the team aren't aligned, he's able to totally make that a non-issue that nobody even talks about so that he can still put himself out there as – the Patriots way, team first. you know, team first, Tom Brady, you need to take a pay cut. You need to take less money than most other quarterbacks in the NFL because it's in the best interest of the team. Now I'm not going to do that, but you're not going to hear about it because I'm the head coach and I control the message and what goes out. But you have a guy like Malcolm Butler who, for whatever reason, the head coach didn't feel like he was making all the decisions in whatever the best interest of the team was, team first. That's so bizarre. Now, even though what it is, we don't really know for sure. We could what speculate, the hell, though? but it's it's crazy that this house of cards that Belichick has built around the Patriots' way and doing things team first, no matter what it is, would be ruined if you make an exception for the Super Bowl. That's why he's willing to give up one Super Bowl to continue to build this house of cards, so that the next year he can still sell the message of team first. And that's why he had to suspend a guy. I think, honestly, he would have suspended Tom Brady had he missed a meeting or been late for a meeting before the Super Bowl because he's willing to lose that Super Bowl to continue to send his message because they think of things as legacy and groups of Super Bowls, not one game individually. Yeah, I would agree with that to a certain extent. Actually, I would agree to all of it. But boom, I feel like there's a thin line between, (laughs) like – Showing that and being an example of that as an organization and living by those codes, and then people also saying, "Okay, now is is Kraft okay with that?" That's the question. So I know Bill is like, "Yeah, I need. Yeah. It's important for me to keep these rules in place to show everybody that there right. is no game, there is no player where we won't do right. what I say." There's we're nobody going above to do. the team. There's nobody. And I above love that me. message. To be totally honest, yeah, I love, I love it. it too. I but does Kraft awesome. love it? But that's the thing. Does that's Brady why, love it? Is Brady think, like, you know what? Malcolm should have played. Yeah. Because I threw for 505 yards and three tubs and no <laughs> <We> interceptions, <lost. laughs> and we lost. Yeah. But I think, honestly, that's where the friction is. And that's why there's always been friction between Tom and Bill, and there's friction between Kraft and Bill 
and Tom and Bill and Tom, now I'm confusing myself. Now we don't know who's who. Now I don't even know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but the owner and the quarterback sometimes have aligned themselves together because they're like, sometimes, Bill, you have to make exceptions to the rule. And Bill's like, I will never make exceptions to the rule. And actually, I agree with Bill Belichick on this one because you have to think of things as a legacy. You can't think of things as one game. And that's why he gets paid the way he does. And that's why he's the greatest coach ever because he's never made any exceptions. That's what's made the greatest generals of all time in the military, the greatest leaders of all time, because they are consistent even when it doesn't help the team or the person. Tell me this. What, what is the state of the Patriots right now? I mean, they're, they're really not much worse off than they were last season. I think they're going to be the Super Bowl favorites. Why do you think so? I think so because now you have a head coach in waiting and Josh McDaniels because I cannot imagine he turned that down without being assured he would be the head coach. That's number one, which also means that you have an expiration date now in Bill Belichick. What I do know is Malcolm Butler didn't play and they lost that game and they could have used another defensive back out there so that Nick Foles didn't look like he was Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> I know that Malcolm Butler released a statement yesterday. I know that Tom Brady liked it on Instagram. He li- no, he didn't. Come I, on. I promise. Oh, you. man. Suspend Tom Brady. Got to bench him for the first four. Weeks no exceptions. Of the season. No exceptions. Butler made a statement in this statement. He said like I did not do anything. All these reports about me missing curfew. All these reports about me coming late. All the reports about anything involving drugs. Not true. The decision was made above me <laughs> for reasons I don't know and why I can't explain because I've given this organization everything, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm happy with my time here, but it's time to move on. I'm still sick. Tom Brady liked it. So that tells me there's some there's there's a good bit of friction. truth to there. Yeah. So that means if Tom Brady's liking that, Belichick is probably leaving at some point, which means McDaniels will be the head coach, which means that Tom Brady is on at some one side here. I say there's friction somewhere that we're not paying attention no, to. No, there's friction for sure. I don't Heavy know. I, I just don't see that there, that's going to be an issue. There's always issues on every NFL team, and it's just how you deal with them. And the Patriots have been the best of all time at dealing yes. with distractions the and The bar issues. is definitely higher than the rest of our teams. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. What do you got, Dan? All right, let's segue over here to the Super Bowl commercials. Okay. Former Browns guard John Greco oh. made a good cameo in the commercial <laughs> with Odell Beckham Shocking cameo, and Eli Manning. Dude. What did you think when you saw that for the first time? I said, my thought was, I can't believe Joe just called him fat two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now this dude so, is on a Super Bowl commercial. Let me be clear. There's a difference between calling somebody fat and calling him a fat guy. <laughs> okay. With loving connotations. We as linemen, we always call each other fat guys. So that's sort of how I meant it. Okay. Now, John, I'm sorry. That's probably not how you took it. I know there's a chef's knife at my throat. Did he throat. hit you up? Uh, he said, better not see you in the streets. Or <laughs> it's going to be going off. For those people that missed it, we, me and Joe, the Tomahawk, did an appearance on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network because everybody's requesting us. So we decided, you know, we'll grace Good Morning Football with our presence. We played a game where somebody held a card up of a player and the other person looking had to describe it to their partner. So I was holding the cards in my head. The player was John Greco. Joe decided to uh, describe him on national television as fat guy from Toledo. <laughs> now, That's like his and Hawk got, Hawk got it right away. Fat guy it from one, Toledo, 69, 69. Yeah, so I mean, I definitely guessed it on the first try, but I, immediately I'm So like, you're just as culpable John as I am. John is not going to like that. But anyways, the best part about the Super Bowl for me was being totally surprised out of nowhere, seeing <laughs> Greco run his hands through his he was so invested. dark Italian hair in this deeply sexual manner on the best Super Bowl commercial of Super Bowl 52. That was a highlight for me. That was so fun. And he didn't tell anybody. He didn't Nobody tell. knew it was Nobody coming. Nobody knew. That's hilarious, man. The thing about John is people don't get to see that side of him. He's a funny guy. He's hilarious, he is, man. He, when he was here, he really made the O-line room a, a fun place to be 
with the laughs that he brought because he's really witty. He's a funny guy. In spite of him being from Toledo, we love him <laughs> just as much as uh, No Face Dan. The mecca of football, Toledo. It was funny because he, you could tell he was going all out to make sure he made the commercial. Yeah. Like oh, he yeah. wanted to make, he wanted oh, yeah, to yeah. make sure his his he, part did not get cut. He, oh yeah, no doubt. He was doing that commercial thinking about the next commercial he was going <laughs> to <Yeah>. land. <laughs> that was awesome, Dan. That's where are we going? Uh, let's go back to the Super Bowl. Let's actually talk about the Eagles a little bit. Um, oh, Hawk, man. I believe you said Golly. on our Super Bowl preview oh, show that I'm glad you brought this they up. had no chance to win and the fans shouldn't watch the game. Oh, oh my goodness. Was that a direct Wrong call? again. I think so. What was, was his a... What was his overall <laughs> record overall. in the playoffs? Uh, for the Pick'em game, Hawk finished with a 3-8 and eight record in the playoffs. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Joe and I each finished 5-6, and six, and the way we like to do things here on the Tomahawk Show, we will end it in a tie. Yes, we uh, like ties. You guys we like kissing so your sister. so much better than me at 5-6, <laughs> you football geniuses. Yes, we're we're you the football guys right, and they're all the Patriots, right? Yeah, but listen, okay. <laughs> Very tough, true. Tough call on those ones, Hawk. <laughs> Had I won the last one, though, we would have all won. <laughs> but no, okay, I was wrong. I, I'm mad enough to say I was wrong. I was. I didn't know Nick Foles had it in him. I sent out a tweet basically saying, hey, congrats, you've got some big yeah. ones, my friend. <laughs> and I shouldn't have underestimated you because he played lights out. The yeah. Eagles team played lights out. Mm-hmm. You know, little fun fact about me. I think I'm 0-5. and five for the last five Super Bowls. <laughs> so I, nice I, I wanted to tell people that ahead of time that, listen, I never picked this right, so you probably shouldn't go with me. But like I said, the Eagles, they balled out, man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, not, man, I'm not not man enough to say that I was completely mm-hmm. wrong about not, the not. Eagles. English teachers out there are yeah, loving I'm, you I am everywhere. not, not, not man enough <laughs> to Foles, man. How about that dude? And so, the, he had the uh, Philly special play, the nice little trick play. Yeah. Bro, that was bull. I got a question. High school Harry shit. How many trick plays are in the game plan each week when you go to play? It depends on which team you're on. If you really suck, you have a lot of trick <laughs> if plays. If you suck. Am I, am I wrong, Joe? Call Dude, me on that. Some, sometimes you go into that game like, we have no chance to win, so <laughs> we're going to pull out five <laughs> trick plays, which reminds me of a game that the Browns played in New Orleans in. I think they were coming off the Super 2009 Bowl. 2009 or 10. I think it was 9 or 10. And we were going in. They were coming off their Super Bowl win. Uh, we were playing Drew Brees at the height of his career in the Superdome, which nobody wins there. <laughs> nobody wins there. And we had, like, a fake punt that went for, like, 70 yards. Reggie we Hodges. Had, we had all sorts of fake play, plays that were <laughs> in that game plan, and a lot of them worked. And it was a big reason why we won that game. So, yeah. usually when you don't think you can win, you pull out a lot of trick plays. They, they, trust me, we had a lot of game plans in Cleveland where we devoted most of our time throughout the week to trick plays. Yeah. There's been a couple of weeks <laughs> like that. What was your favorite trick play ever? Uh, my favorite trick play that I've been a part of was this trick play where all the linemen stand shoulder to shoulder right on the line of scrimmage, and you act like you're talking to each other and looking at the defense. The quarterback comes up under center, snaps it without making a sound, quick turns and puts the ball in like the fullback or whoever is hiding behind the offensive line in a crouched position, puts it in his belly, and then the offensive line shouts go, and everyone runs to the right. The quarterback runs to the right like he's got an option play. The running back runs to the right like he's the option back. Uh-huh. And then the guy that's now got the ball in his stomach is crouched over, not moving. And he waits a good one and a half counts after everyone starts running the other way, and then he runs to the left. And typically, the defense is a little bit confused, but then sees everybody running one way, and so they run after him. Uh-huh. And then usually the guy with the ball has a free run into the end zone, and it actually worked. Isn't that the we did that in like Puerto Rico? 2010. And uh, we'll call it the annex of Puerto Rico there. I think it is the yeah. annexation of Puerto Rico. That's yeah. like the exact play. Yeah. My favorite so we did that play. one. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and it worked for a touchdown? It was a touchdown. My favorite trick play is when, in 2014, when Kyle was here, and they had, like, the fake quarterback substitution, yeah. and Johnny's on the sideline, but yeah. he's not off the field. It was an illegal play, yeah, it was 100%. Illegal, so. <laughs> but he was, like, faking like he was talking to Cal on yeah. the sideline, and then they snap it, and then Hoyer threw the pass yeah. to Johnny down the sideline for, like, yeah. 50 yards. Yeah. They got called back, not because of the legal formation or the right. way that we did it. It was because, I think, Terrence West was moving. Yeah. In the backfield, but that but was by far my favorite. The NFL came out after that and said, well, if we wouldn't have thrown the flag on that, we actually missed a flag because the player that's coming off the field can't be like outside the numbers. Yeah. And he has to be to, facing the line of scrimmage, too, yeah. in order to make it illegal. But those refs didn't know what they had. Yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. They, so they, they were going to call that. He was facing Kyle, so he wasn't looking at the field at all. Yeah, and then no. you just see Kyle's lips say, go. And, yeah. and then Johnny <laughs> takes off running. I loved it. So, two things about trick plays that I want to talk about. Um, one, 
The reason the Eagles play uh, Philly special or whatever they called it was difficult to defend is because typically when you have 11 defenders, not everyone is accounted for on offense because you don't think about having to cover the quarterback man-to-man, especially right. if you don't have somebody spying the quarterback because he's not an athletic quarterback. Usually you've got, if you're in, in man-to-man coverage, you got your five receivers covered, but then you've got two other uh, players that are sort of zone defenders and nobody's really accounting for the quarterback. So as soon as – uh, Nick Foles starts moving to the right. He's now an eligible receiver, but nobody's accounting for him. And that's why when the play got started, when he ran out into the flat, nobody was covering him. And that's right. why it's a tricky play. And earlier in the game, when the Patriots tried something similar, Tom Brady was wide open because in defensive football, you don't account for a quarterback who's slow and old and right. can't play as a with the ball in his hand, a la Tom Brady and Nick Foles. Oh, we needed those points, too. If he would have caught we, that. Now, now you're a Patriots guy. Wow, listen to you. <laughs> well, we, we as in the people who bet with the Patriots. <laughs> all right, who lost all of our Bitcoin. Yeah. So, that would have been a three-point swing. We Busta Rhymes coming goal. after you. Yeah, yeah. Busta's people are going to be knocking God, the door down we, in Berea. Who thought but uh, my second Rhymes. point about uh, trick plays that I think fans will find interesting is um, a lot of times a coaching staff will go into the season with 20 trick plays that they like. And you'll start practicing those maybe at the beginning of practice or in walkthroughs every day from the beginning of training camp, right. maybe two or three plays each day. Mm-hmm. So I guarantee that Philly and New England have been practicing those trick plays in some form or fashion from August through the season, and it wasn't until the Super Bowl that they were ready to pull it out because they practiced it enough because a trick play requires a lot of timing, and if you don't have a lot of practice and confidence going in, usually it's going to be just a turnover. Yeah. It's funny because the Patriots ran that same play against the Eagles I think three years earlier, the same exact play. And then Foles also ran the same play in high schools. There's high school footage really? of him that? running that play when he was in high school, and they said he called his own shot. Like, he called the play in the game. <laughs> no How about kidding. that? How about that? You know what? A big cojones. So talking about Foles, what do you do when Carson Wentz comes back? Who do you well, got? Who do you like? Well, I mean, Carson's their guy. There, there's really not any discussion about that. But the question is, do they trade Nick Foles this year? Or do they wait until Carson's had a full season under his belt and then consider maybe doing something with Nick at the end of next year? What, what kind of deal is he on? How many more years does he have left on his deal? I'm pretty sure he's got a few years because he just signed last season. And it was a pretty good, it was a pretty yeah. good backup yeah. deal. We've got great researchers on the yeah. Tomahawk Show. They're over at headquarters. Uh, yeah, and yeah, they didn't give us the information on uh, Nick really Foles' contract right now. But I'm sure he's under contract next year. Yeah. So the so for me, I think the prudent decision for them would be to just keep him on the roster, make sure Carson's coming back fully healthy, and then at the end of next season make a decision what you want to do with him. Because I'm sure he'll still have a market at the end of next season. He has one year left in the deal. Oh, I, we, we heard uh, from Hold headquarters on. in L.A. They're, uh, they're, they're just, in our earpieces. In our earpiece. He has one year left. I say you trade him this offseason. Okay. But even, even like, with the injury risk? Even with injury risk, man, you got to get rid of him. You got to get something out of him because he's going to walk in free agency anyway. But you can do like the Patriots did with Matt Castle a few years ago. You could franchise him and then trade him. No way they're going to franchise him. They are not going to give him. All right. They'd rather go get a, another backup instead of paying him $25 million a year. I'm saying they'll franchise him and then trade him. didn't pay him. They franchised him and then traded him to Kansas City. I don't know if someone else is going to pay no. him that uh, much. That's too far down the line. He's going to have to, to really be another Super Bowl MVP about it. <laughs> yeah, he's got to run that back <laughs> at least one more time. All right. Let's uh, pivot one more thing, I think, on the Super Bowl. Uh, talk about concussions. It was I would love to. a little bit of a – do you remember them? <laughs> it was a little bit of a controversy here because Patrick Chung got knocked out. Uh, Jay Ajayi gave him the he's asleep signal to the sideline. And then Patrick Chung went in the little blue tent for like 10 seconds and ran right back out in the field and played another few snaps, a few series actually, and then had more concussion symptoms and had to leave the game. Mm -hmm. Um, Second Super Bowl in four years that this has happened to one of the players on the Patriots. So Julian Edelman against the Seahawks is going down the field and gets smoked in the head, has a hard time getting up, kind of stumbles, shows Mm -hmm. concussion symptoms. Um, at that point, they didn't really have the protocol they have right now, but he right. ends up playing the rest of the game. And then, of course, after the game, he's just going to deny he had a concussion, right? Because he doesn't want to make a big deal about it. He knows the Patriots don't want that to become an issue because that could be bad for their organization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't want to make this about the Patriots, right? Yeah. To me, it's not about the Patriots, yeah. it's about the NFL's concussion protocol. 
Earlier in the game, Brandon Cooks got knocked out. Everyone saw that one. That was really a bad, bad hit. That was ugly. And that was easy to keep him out, right? But yeah. the Patrick Chung one was a little bit different because he gets up and he sort of has a hard time using his motor skills and standing up and with his balance. But then he gets to the sideline and he seems like he's fine for a little while. Mm-hmm. But the doctors on the sideline somehow don't get the communication from the box that this guy was unconscious, clearly got a concussion. And so he gets put back in the game. Um, do you have any problem with that? Being a guy that's had a few really bad concussions in his career. Yeah. And what do you think the NFL needs to change with their concussion protocol? You know, I think it's it's tough, to be honest. I don't like the fact that, again, there's still room for it to be left up to the player. And we've talked about this before. That This is not a decision a player can make because he is not in his right mind. He is not thinking clear because he has a concussion. There's a reason they call it punch drunk because it's the equivalent of you being drunk. Like you don't have the ability to make sound decisions. And a lot of times with my concussions, I went into autopilot. So when I was watching this and I seen Chung go down, I knew it was a concussion. And I also knew that he was going to come back into the game before the same reasons you said it. And especially since the team needed him, um, he gets to the sideline, I'm fine. Of course, what what guy is going to want to pull himself out of the, the biggest game of his, right, of his exactly. life? It's not going to happen. Um, what I'd be curious to is what were the symptoms that happened because he stayed in for a while. I actually remember him having a big hit. Yeah, I mean, he played pretty well when else he's he was, out there. Yeah. Which is not uncommon for people that are concussed. Exactly. Because you go into autopilot. And you're right? like, now you're loose. Now, now you're loose. No nerves. no nerves. Yeah, just, you're just going. You're, you're rolling. Just, so you're seeing like the football yeah. player at yeah. his raw ability. <laughs> yeah. So he was playing really well. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm curious to see what the symptoms were that made them say, okay, let's pull the trigger and pull him out. But yeah. it, it, there had to be something early. You would think on a, a game of that magnitude, like when mm-hmm. I watched Brandon Cooks get hit, I'm like, oh, this is bad. Like, you got to know that the league office is saying, if there's one game where the whole world is watching, we don't want people getting knocked out, it's this game. So for them to allow Patrick Chung to go back in, I just felt like – that was probably a little bit of a black eye in the league mm-hmm. and on such an incredible game overall yeah. um, and an incredible product for, for yeah. NFL fans. So I had a really good conversation this week with Chris Nowinski, who's a Ph.D. He's a doctor in Boston that works on the uh, Mackey White Committee, which is the head trauma committee. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how familiar with this you are, but they're part of the process of coming up with a concussion protocol and forcing the league's hand basically to take this a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting. He told me basically the process is there's a spotter in the booth that sees the play and can radio down and talk directly with the doctors on the sideline. Mm-hmm. But then it's up to the, the team doctor for the Patriots or the team and the independent neurologist to clear the player for a return to play. And when they go in that blue tent, they just go through a couple cursory exercises to see if they're lucid and they're able to communicate and then they can, if they both clear him, they can send him back in the game. So mm-hmm. both of those doctors were the ones that cleared him to go back in the game and obviously missed the signs of an obvious concussion. And what he said is a lot of concussions actually have a delayed onset of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So you get the concussion for maybe 20 or 30 seconds, you're sort of out of it, but you're able to kind of snap back into it yeah. and then act perfectly normal. But after 10 minutes, all of a sudden you get that headache that uh, ringing in your ear, mm-hmm. and then you sort of lose your ability to speak and ba- and some of your balance and stuff like that. And he thought that's what happened with Patrick Chung's in- incident. It was a delayed onset. And what he said actually, um, and this is on us as players, he said the players have been just as big as the NFL pushing back on having clear-cut rules on when a player can return to play and when he can't. Mm-hmm. And they've been pushing a lot of them to keep that gray area and allow it to be up to the doctors and the player to return to action. And I think that's some of the old school mentality in football that sort of leaks in on the player's side. You know, I'm a tough guy. I want to be out there for my teammates. Those are all good thoughts, but we don't really understand as players, we're not able to fully understand the lifetime ramifications of these traumatic head injuries um, and we're only starting to understand. And so I think it's a cultural thing that needs to change in NFL locker rooms and, that says, like, look, it's great to play with a broken leg. Alex, we commend your toughness. Yeah. But when you're you talking about your brain, we're, we're, yeah, exactly. When you're, we're talking about your brain and your quality of life when you're in your yeah. 40s and dying, you know, 20, 30 years earlier than 
your average person. We need to be more serious and think of this more as a brotherhood where we're looking out for each other. Because like you mentioned, when you're in that concussed state, it's basically like being worse than blacked out drunk. Right. You can't make decisions for yourself because you just go into autopilot and you don't even really know what's going on. So long-winded answer, but what Chris thought would be really good was to make it mandatory for the doctors on the sideline to review video of the hit. They have the ability to do that right now, but in the haste to get a player back in the field, a lot of times they don't watch the video. Yeah. In this case, if they would have been able to watch the video, they would have been able to clearly see that Patrick Chung was concussed, and they would have clearly been able to hold him out. And the other thing that Chris said would be a really good step in the right direction for the players and the NFL as a whole because we're trying to save this game. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of problems right now. Some people are trying to save the game. this game. And I mean, personally, I kind of like the game of football, and I'd yes. like to see it continue for another 50 years, let my kids play. And if we don't take the head injury thing serious, we're going to lose this game, and it's going to be flag football, and nobody's going to be watching anymore. Yeah, I agree. I, I think some some people so – there's some people around the topic of discussion of concussions that I don't know. I'm not always clear in their motives, to be honest with you, because it is a gray area because there's like – there's both sides of it, and this is a person who has experienced multiple concussions, reported and unreported, right? So I just know that every concussion is different. Like, there's every level of being drunk. There's every level of being tipsy. You're drunk. You're blackout drunk. You remember, but you're, like, completely out of it. There's literally your sleep, right? It's the same thing with concussions. And no, they can't be all treated the same way, yep. but – and my call on the video surveillance, the only real way to do it is if you question someone has a concussion, they're out. That's, yeah. the, that's the only way when to do it. When in doubt, leave them out. Leave them out because what's going to happen is you're going to review. There's been hits where it looks like I'm dead and I had <laughs> nothing wrong with me. Yeah. And there's been hits that you wouldn't even blink to think there was anything wrong and it was some of my worst concussions. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the complexity of the conversation. So in my mind... It's hard for a doctor, even the way the concussion protocol is, that whenever there's a baseline, right, then you have these baseline questions that you ask this guy and he answers them right, that means you can go back in. The doctor really doesn't know. Like, you can't diagnose concussion with sight. Mm -hmm. And I can't peel your skull open mm -hmm. and look at your brain mm -hmm. and search for the protein or the, mm, the, the, towel. the towel that's, like, oh, yeah, you're in bad shape. Yeah. So the result is if you think they're concussed, get them out. Yeah. But the, we can't, we're not going to be able to do away with concussions. As long right. as there's football, yeah. there's going to be concussions. It's part of the sport, it's a risk that I think all players accept when they strap that helmet on. Yes. But I think as stewards of the game – people that work for the NFL, work around the game of football, it's their responsibility to act in the best interest of players, even when the players don't want to act in the best interest of themselves sometimes. So the last thing I think the NFL should look at this offseason is if the spotter in the booth sees what he thinks could be a concussion, that player needs to be out for 10 minutes of time because it'll allow for those delayed onset of symptoms to show themselves so you don't have to put a player back in there really quickly. But what about when the delay is, is 20 minutes? I'm just, I'm just saying a minimum of 10. Yeah. Be, this is a rule they have in rugby right now. They say if you are look like you've had a concussion, you have a hard time getting up, you can't get up, mm -hmm. or you fall over, whatever the issue is, you can't speak, you need to wait 10 minutes from that incident before they can let you go back in the game, even if you look fine after five minutes. Because it's usually sometimes in that 7- to 10-minute window then that the player all of a sudden has a hard time remembering who he was, lights are really bright, he gets that headache, and those are the symptoms that the doctors need to see to hold him out. So those are the, the couple things I think yeah. that this offseason should look into from the NFL standpoint and concussions. Just keep him out. If he's having trouble getting up, he has a concussion. <laughs> Get him out of the game. Amen. He can't walk. Amen. This episode is brought to you by Shell. College football is best enjoyed at home. You know, the home that has no rooms because it's a stadium of 70,000 screaming fans. But wherever you are, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See FuelRewards.com slash FuelYourFandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. All right. Let's change directions a little bit here. Today is National Signing Day for the for college. Okay. What do you guys remember about your signing day? I'm sure Joe was sitting on a boat 
had a Wisconsin, <laughs> Ohio State, and Michigan yeah. hat. Yeah. He reached over, put on the Wisconsin yeah, yeah. one, threw the other two overboard. <laughs> Did it go just like that, Yeah, Joe? it was actually bobbers. I had uh, three of those big red bobbers. Um, one had a Michigan logo, Wisconsin <laughs> logo, Ohio State logo. And whatever bobber got bit first is the team I was going to go to. Were so. those your final three schools? No, actually, believe it or not, I mean, you probably will. Ohio State never sent me a letter. Yeah. And it's free to send a letter, basically, for these schools with $100 million budget. <laughs> you weren't, you weren't budget. worth the stamp. I wasn't even worth the 35-cent stamp. At the time, I think it was a quarter. They were like, this guy's not even worth the envelope, not much less the stamp. Michigan sent, like, a letter, and then a coach came and talked to me, and I must have done a really bad job in the interview because they never <laughs> called me back after that. Uh, so Wisconsin was the only team that recruited me out of those three. Um, but it came down to really Wisconsin and Notre Dame, I would say, were the two schools I was really considering in the end. Yeah. And I was, I was happy to pick Wisconsin, and I'm very happy about my decision. How about you? Was the hat thing a thing? It that, really, that, you know what, the hat thing then? really wasn't a thing yet. Um, I played in the U.S. Army All-America game in high school, which was right before signing day. And that was the first time, I think, that anybody had done the hat thing. Yeah, Actually, it was it. Reggie Bush. Like, whoa. I think he was the first one ever. He had, like, a bag with a bunch of hats in there. And on the sideline in the game, he reaches in and pulls out a USC hat <laughs> and puts it on, right? So he was the first one, I Just think, that cash money built that drama. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't really a big thing for, for me when I was going uh, coming out. But uh, yeah, guy from Toledo probably had bags of money showing up at his door every yeah, day. That's why he went to Toledo. Hard. I got a Ford Focus. Somebody sent me a Ford Focus. <laughs> Bought my mom a condo on the east side of town. <laughs> no, nah, I didn't have anywhere to sign to. I had, like... Two one double A schools that gave me like a financial package and a division two scholarship. And like one signing day I drove to school and told my head coach I wasn't going to any of those schools. <laughs> and that uh I'm going to prep school. So I enrolled in prep school and then really? went to a camp and ended up earning my scholarship to Toledo. Really? And I had to pay my first semester. No way. Yeah. So you truly have started on the bottom. Oh, bottom. Everywhere you everywhere gone. you can imagine. Except for the Tomahawk show, Except which for, we start at the top. It's like there's always one thing that you're just great at. Right? Yeah, right. It's just I'm radio. I've always I've been, always a, podcast been a podcaster. This whole time. <laughs> trying to be a football player. How about you, NFD? How did you decide yeah, did where you, to go? Did you do the hat game? I did. I, I pulled the big hat out to my D3 school I went to, and everybody <laughs> went nuts. The arena went crazy, and we went the there and played. The arena <laughs> We're going to get one in four years. And we went 0-10, two of my four years playing there. It was a great wow. time. Yeah, so you're used to uh, no-win seasons, <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, quick funny story on signing day from me. Um, <laughs> Zero and 10 for two seasons. <laughs> yeah. no, we, were the worst. we were the worst college football wow. team in the that's, nation. That's <laughs> hilarious. You got to love D3 football. Though. Yeah, right? Cause it's like they were just having a lot of fun though. It's just all about love at that level. Like <laughs> I've just seen the D3 game. kids like talk to me and, and like, hey, I've been playing football, man. It's, it's cool, but it's really getting away with my homework. <laughs> my coach is mad at me because I'm starting to not come to practice for school. What should I do? I'm like, dude, I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? You're not going to the NFL, buddy. <laughs> Give it up. Uh, so signing day for me, dream killer. I, it was actually during school. It's like a school day, right? Yeah. So I was in, I don't know, math class or whatever. And I heard my name on the loudspeaker, like, Joe Thomas, please come to the gymnasium. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I'll be there. I'm like doing a homework assignment or whatever. So yeah, I'm like, I'm yeah, sure. I'll come, right? And so I waited about 30 minutes, finished my homework, and I went to the gym figuring, I don't know, maybe somebody that was there to see me. I don't know. I had uh, no idea what it was. So I walk in. And sure enough, they had the whole high school band playing. Because at my high school, oh, there wasn't wow. a lot of kids that got Division One scholarships. Yeah. Especially to Wisconsin. It's a big deal to go to Wisconsin when you're from Wisconsin. And my parents were there, and they had, like, a little booth set up. And I had, they had the papers and everything for me to officially sign for Wisconsin. Wow. But and the you funny had no idea is, this was happening. I had no idea it was happening. So they call my name, and they played the Wisconsin fight song like 10 times while they were waiting for me because they assumed <laughs> I would hear my name and come right there. But they had the whole band waiting for me playing on Wisconsin like 15 times before I showed up to sign my stuff. So wow. uh, everyone was in on it except for me, and I made them wait. That's, that's how you know you're big time whenever you got the high school band. <laughs> I think there was – before me, my brother signed Division One ten 10 years earlier. No, there was a kicker. Actually, he might have went to Wisconsin. Who's that? Demoncus. Uh, a kicker? Yeah. No. I, I feel like our it, kicker was Taylor like Melhoff. He was from like South Dakota. Oh, Demoncus doesn't sound like a guy from South Dakota. He's from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get, can we get our researchers on class of two? What, what year did you sign? I signed in 03. 
pull up the class of 03 Wisconsin football team recruiting class. If he's in your recruiting class, I'm going to be real embarrassed, oh, no. man. He actually Sorry, might have been, He might have been class of 02. He and then he got kicked off the team or something. He might have been a wild child. I don't <laughs> know. Give me a class. But we, we got our research on searching the class of 02. All right. While while the researchers are doing this, let's do some tomahawk Q and A. Uh, we love interacting yes. with fans on this show. We love when you guys send us your questions on social media. Um, so we picked a few today that we were going to go over. Um, and we want a Reddit page. We know there's a lot of hardcore followers on Reddit. Yeah, get, make us we a Reddit We love you guys what are you on, on Reddit. Jeez, we need you guys to make us a page so we can feel official and for, part of the family. So uh, the first one is from at Scrivs4, S-C-R-I-V-S-4. And Scrivs4 asks, you are NFL commissioner for the day. What are the top three issues on your plate that you would address, and what are the solutions? I can start if you'd like while you think about this, Hawk. No, I know what oh, I'm you know, right, what are there? I'm making two rule changes. Number one, there's never a tie in the NFL. Ever. There's never going to be a tie. Ties are only allowed on the Tomahawk show. Only the Tomahawk so show. So what happens? Let me let me stop you there. So what happens if they go through like four overtimes and then the game's like five hours later? How do you end it? You play to the death. I don't care. You just care. keep playing until they die? Baseball, oh, baseball yeah. keeps going. I, yeah, I would love you to. Uh, yeah, baseball because they don't hit anybody in baseball. Yeah, college football uh, keeps going. There's no ties in college football. Yeah, and look how exhausted those. Those guys are practically it dead. It happens They're once like every 19 like and years. they're practically dead at the end no. of those overtimes. That means more advertising dollars for the longer <laughs> games. Wow. No ties you get real brutal when you get out of the game don't you yeah really looking out for the players the second one yeah i'm the commissioner (laughs) what a guy you could be the commissioner actually you you are the commissioner according (laughs) to this question um and then the other one is when you fumble into the end zone yes that's mine you get you just get the ball back wherever you fumbled at. If yeah, it that's goes the dumbest rule ever. That's the ever. dumbest rule in like football. Like if you fumble into the end zone and it goes out of the end zone, all of a sudden it's a touchback. That's idiotic. Stupid. If it, if you fumble on the two and it goes out on the one, you get the ball on the two. But if you fumble on the one and it goes out of the side of the end zone, it's a touchback. It's, for it team. makes zero sense. All that work and nothing. That's dumb. I think that that would be one of mine. Um, and my other one would be the receiver. One that we've talked about where the defensive backs can't hit a defenseless receiver below the knees. You don't want them to or you want them to be able to? No, I don't. More. They are allowed to right now, and I don't want that to be part of the game. I think we lose too many of our marquee star players, and we need to start protecting knee and ankle and broken leg health yeah. the way they protect brain health. Yeah, but then you start getting like groin injuries. and then you come back from a groin. Yeah, hit them in the groin. It depends on what part of the hit groin. Hit them in the nuts. What do we care? I'm not a receiver. <laughs> But I don't want to see Odell Beckham out for the year. I like that. Who do you All got? right, we got What's another your... question from Sheila J two two five. What is the funniest rookie hazing you have received? I received. Um, Joe didn't get hazed. I mean, you yeah, can, I you got, can, I got or, hazed or that you a gave. Bit. You're a big bully over there. No, I wasn't a bully. You were too. Big I really time. don't like the hazing thing. I don't know. I wasn't into it. I wasn't really into it. I was like, you know what? As a rookie, keep your mouth shut. And your eyes open, but that doesn't mean I want to like treat you. Yeah, yeah, no, I was like against crap. I was sort of against it. We're but such bad pros. Yeah, we I are. Was, like that, that's old school game. stuff. Yeah, I'm like, come on, don't be a clown. Yeah, I just want to work hard and don't be annoying. Yeah, just really well, did, they, they, did they haze you? Yeah, at but all, so Joe? I got a little bit. It wasn't too bad. I mean, they shaved my head, which Ooh. there's a lot of pictures on the internet of me with the shaved head. And some of the pretty. hair grew back. Yeah, some of it grew back. Most of it didn't. Uh, but the other thing they made me do is when I would go in the lunchroom, they would make me wear like this pink pig princess hat, uh, um, to try to humiliate me. That wasn't too bad. That was not really a big deal. And then like, like most rookies, you have to sing in front of the team and then you have to say like what your signing bonus was to try to humiliate you a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure that was so humiliating. Yeah. Yeah. $47 million. Oh, laugh, point laugh. Yeah. So then, then you sing a song for those that don't know. And then usually what happens is everyone instantly starts booing you and throwing papers at you and stuff to try to, you know, humiliate you. And I think. Kids today, you know, Gen Xers, they really need that humiliation. But yeah. me, I was already embarrassed enough, and I wasn't <laughs> talking at all. Anyway. Is it true that the song you sang was Soldier Boy? <laughs> Soldier Boy wasn't even out at that time, by the way. Soldier I- Boy was not a thing. <laughs> he was just wannabe Soldier Boy. He was just he, a, he was, His parents were so signing his enlistment Soldier papers Boy for him training. he was yeah. like 16. <laughs> My rookie year, I didn't have to do anything because I came from Canada. And although I was you're already like 40, I was like 26. <laughs> hey, matey, you're They're from like, Canada. Oh. Like, I'm older than you. You can't make me do a rookie show. <laughs> so that's how I got out of all the rookie hazing. Uh, Dan, we got any good questions? Another question from Brian Lee Law. Dumb and Dumber, Lloyd or Harry? I'm a Harry guy myself. <laughs> it sounds really funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're that, a little Harry, but not Both too of bad. those are true. <laughs> 
Uh, I like Lloyd. I think Lloyd Christmas sort of made the movie. You think? Yeah, I think it's like the Belichick Brady thing. I think right now, without Lloyd, you don't have Dumb and Dumber. I agree. Uh, but without I, Harry, you don't have Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think, think somebody Harry, else could have played that role. could have played Harry. What? Jim Carrey as Lloyd Christmas was yeah, phenomenal. Th- he made. Dumb oh, you're and right. Dumber. I have it mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> you're completely right. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking. All right, perfect. Yeah, I was thinking Lloyd was Harry. All right, we're all in agreement there. Yeah, so, all right. Patriot, Patriots Another, by 10. He's a, he, he's a big <laughs> Dumb and Dumber fan. Question from Coach B. Roll. If they were making a Tom, <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a strength coach named Brad Roll, so I wonder if this is him. It probably that. is. If you hear the question, you'll know it's him. Like, Joe, if they Joe, were, <laughs> Joe, did you do your upright row today? Like, this, is a, this is a weird question. Did you get your squats in? <laughs> if they were making a Tomahawk movie, who would play each of you guys? Mm. I like it. I got a, a lot of people saying Kevin Hart on Twitter. Not a fan of that because I feel like I'm way taller than Kevin Hart. <laughs> I was going to say, it's strictly the height thing. That's heightism. It's bull. Uh, for me, I would like to see George Clooney play my character because yeah, I think he's exactly the one that rep- represents me the most closely. Yeah. Uh, for you, I would like to see. <laughs> I was seeing. Go ahead. I mean, I like the Kevin Hunt thing because obviously. Kevin Hunt. Everyone, yeah, he's a. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Hunt. Kevin Hunt. Kevin Hart. <laughs> Kevin Hart. It'll be his breakthrough I'm just as drunk as he was uh, <laughs> in the, like, at the end of the game. Uh, but no, I think it's funny because Kevin's very quick-witted and funny, just like you are, and you're both I like short. That. So I, don't like uh, that. I know you're offended by those things. But who do you think should play me, and who do you think you should play? Who you? was the guy that played? Um, uh, what was the name of that movie? Matt I love that movie. That was, that was my favorite. Uh, the dude of Moneyball, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. So I you like, want Jonah Hill to play you? I want Jonah Hill to play you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm highly offended. You should be. <laughs> I Although Jonah I love Hill. Jonah Hill. He's yeah, great. He's Jonah got Hill. some really funny movies. But uh, Or uh, Seth. What's the other one? Seth, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Oh, off old fat white movie, guys. Thanks our, a lot, man. Our movie has to be a, a comedy. And yeah. if so, Seth Rogen plays yes. you. Yeah, we'll get a hold of those guys. I'll accept Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Otherwise, I want uh, Denzel. Denzel? Yeah. Well, I had Joe I as Woody Denzel. Harrelson. I had Hawk as uh, Martin Lawrence. <laughs> and I had Channing Tatum for myself. Channing Tatum. <laughs> Were you guys both strippers in college? Yeah. I think I could see it. Both D3 football players <laughs> and turned right. strippers. <laughs> so, as everyone knows, we just got back from the Super Bowl. We did three awesome parts of the podcast from the Super Bowl. You can see yep. a bunch of funny interviews on YouTube. Um, but I wanted to talk about one funny story, which may be the funniest story we've told on this sto- wow. uh, the show so Way far. to build it up, Joe. Golly. And then uh, the quick barstool recap because um, I tweeted about it a little bit, and yeah. everyone was like, what happened, what happened? So basically the Barstool one is a quick one where last year in Houston, the Barstool party was like the greatest party I've ever been to at the yep. Super Bowl. You said that. Barstool Sports rented out a bar, had Ja Rule and Ashanti play, and just basically invited all their friends to come party with them. Ja Rule everything Ashanti, everything was, was free. That was the best party ever? Yes, because it reminded all of us old, balding guys <laughs> what it was like. Yes, what it was like when we were in college <laughs> and we were bumping to Ja Rule and Ashanti. Uh, but anyways, it was so fun. Everything was comped. Like all Super Bowl parties are of that's all like, time. That's the like, only thing that really, yeah, if it's comp, it's a great party. Yeah, right? So absolutely, I'm kind of cheap. That's true. Um, but anyways, fast forward to this year, it was the most talked about, most hyped party because everyone assumed it'd be similar to last year. Well, I talked to the Barstool guys and they said they spent like half a million dollars on the party last year and it like broke the budget for the whole year. <laughs> so this year they were like, all right, we can't do that, but we're going to sell some tickets or maybe we'll just sell the rights to Tao. So they sold the rights to Tao. Tao hosts the party and totally fumbles the operation. Like, yes. Um, I'm not going to get into details because they're not fun or funny. Really, basically, everybody that was on like the athlete entertainer list had to wait in this massive mosh pit for like 30 minutes outside <laughs> and like 20 below and fight to get in. And once you got in, there was nobody inside. And then you lost all your friends because the space was really crowded and tight and like it was just a weird area to have a party and then on top of that i went to the bar with nfd and you, you stood us up so you weren't there yeah so it was, was me Diddy, and nfd I was at, at the Diddy's bar party. i finally got into Diddy's. And, I, and i was like oh my god finally we made it you know we went through that 30 minute line but we're here we're gonna have a good time shack diesels dj in the party jamie fox is djing and i went to the bar and i was like can i just get five bud lights and they were like 
Just, sure. just, for, me, just for me and Joe. It was just Fine. for me and NFD. We were really thirsty. <laughs> and we get in there, and she was like, oh, yes, please. And I was about to walk away, and she goes, excuse me, sir, that's $50. And I go, what? <laughs> $50? $10 a beer? Uh, it wasn't even like we had craft beer. But anyways. They ended up making money at the party. They were year. making money hand over fist because I heard that to buy a table. Now, we didn't buy a table. We were just on the list because the Tomahawk Show is such a big deal, and yeah, we were on obviously. Pardon My Take earlier in the week but uh to buy a table it was like 15 grand and just general admission was like five six seven hundred bucks something like that so not only did you have to pay hundreds of dollars to get in once you were in then you had to pay ten dollars for a beer uh. which was the most outrageous thing ever so that really discouraged me and so me and my friends nfd we just left yeah uh, we that's... were like i've had enough of this it's not cool this is not the place to be this year so we left so was that the greatest Super Bowl story? No. So the greatest Super Bowl story is right here. But so. real quick, takeaway is bar bar stools parties suck this year. Well, this year they did. All right. Well, there's one so life hack. One life hack we could add All here right, for yeah, Joe yeah, that I saw. I hope hack. you don't mind me telling the yeah, story. Please, we love life hacks here on the Tomahawk Show. So we're at the party. Joe said it was fifteen thousand dollars to have your own table, and they had all the drinks at the table. You know, so not at the cash bar. <laughs> uh huh. So Joe walks up to one of the tables and just starts pouring a drink. And security walks over and says, "Excuse me, sir, are you with this group?" There was nobody at the two, nobody there yet. Oh, yeah. They go, "Are you with this group?" And he goes, "Yeah." And they look at their sheet. They're like, "So you're with the Noah group? Uh, what's the first name?" And he's like, "Oh uh, yeah, it's uh, Joe Kim." They're like, "Okay, you're good, sir." <laughs> <laughs> so I grabbed a big Grey Goose bottle and pour myself a big glass, and I just kept going. Shout out to Joe Kim Noah. <laughs> so if Joe Kim, or I mean, I know Joe Kim Noah is listening to the show. Yes. Thanks for giving me that uh, vodka soda <laughs> drink with your limes. It was delicious. Joe Kim. All right, what's your other Super but anyway, Bowl story? Anyway, so my, my greatest Super Bowl story of all time was told to me by a friend on Saturday. So he said, all right, Friday night, I'm at the bar, the, the bar I'm at the party, and having a good time, met a nice young lady, hit it off. At the end of the night, the party's over, and she invites this person back to her apartment. So he's thinking, great, we're going to continue our great conversation at her apartment. Uh-huh. So he's like, this is going to be fantastic. So... He uh, gets in the Uber with her. They drive to her apartment, which is down the road somewhere. They go inside, and it's one of these big high-rises, right? Uh So they get into the front. They get in the elevator. She's on, like, the 12th floor. So they press 12. They get up to 12. Ding. Get off. And as you guys know, when you go to these apartments, there's not, like, public bathrooms. Right. right? Like, it's it's not – it's somebody's residence. Right. There's not public bathrooms, restrooms. And so a little bit of backstory on this guy, he just sort of started a new diet where it was a fiber-heavy heavy diet. Ooh. So he's been consuming a lot <laughs> yeah, I know of where this fiber is going. Going, into this, <laughs> going into this weekend because he's trying to go with, uh, you know, the, the full feeling when you're eating a lot more fiber and you're more regular and stuff. So anyways, so they get to her apartment and they open the door. And it's one of these efficiencies, right, where it's just sort of a big room with a kitchen and one bathroom, but it's all kind of one room. And she, they go in, and they're going to start their good conversations. And uh, she says to him, hang on a second. Can I freshen up real quick? So he's like, no problem. So she goes into the bathroom, and she's closed the door, starts freshening up. And, you know, he's laying on the bed hanging out, waiting for things to continue their great conversation. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it hits him. <laughs> he's got to use number two. And she's in the bathroom, and there's no public restrooms like anywhere nearby. I'm just picturing a scene from Dumb and Dumber since we were talking about earlier. This is Dumb and Dumber. So, so he's like, "Oh crap! I've got a crap, and if I don't crap immediately, things bad, bad things are gonna happen." So he's like looking around, and and she had turned the lights off before she went to the bathroom, so it's kind of dark in there. But he looks in the corner, and he sees there's a dog, like a big dog in the corner. He's like, "Oh, perfect." This is my in. So he's like, I'm going to crap in the corner and blame it on the dog. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this he's like, that'll work. So, you know, we'll be able to continue our great conversation. She'll get out of the bathroom. I'll tell her the dog crapped in the corner. We'll clean it up. And then we'll go about our business. <laughs> this is, the Tom Hop show is taking a turn. <laughs> so he's like, Steep turn he's, for the like he's like, all right, I'll crap in the corner. So he takes his underwear off, goes in the corner, and he takes a dump. Right, so big hot steaming dump right in the corner, while she's still in the bathroom. Right, so all of a sudden he he finishes up, you know, he pulls his underwear back up, jumps back in the bed. She's still in the bathroom. Okay, all of a sudden she comes out of the bathroom. She's finished. She's done freshening up, and as soon as she gets out of the bathroom, she goes, "My God, what is that horrible smell?" 
And he's like, yeah, you know, I think your dog just took a crap in the corner. And she goes, oh, my God, I don't have a dog. And she turns the lights on, and he looks what he thought was the dog was a statue of the dog in the corner. It was not a real dog. So instantly, red-faced, he pulls his pants up and runs out and jumps in an Uber, never to see her again. Is that a real story? That's a real story. It's been verified by multiple people. (laughs) So I don't even know what to say. Your your anti-life hack for the day is... If you have to go to the bathroom and somebody's in there, don't crap in the corner and try to blame it on the dog because she probably doesn't have a dog. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's going to be a wrap for the Tomahawk that's Show today. <laughs> As always, we appreciate you guys joining us here at the Tomahawk Show. That's a wrap. Um, brought to you by Uninterrupted. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Tomahawk with an H. Share your thoughts and ideas specifically about Joe's final story. <laughs> Subscribe. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. I'm not even going to go to Joe for final thoughts at all. That We just got his final thoughts. Dan, give me your final thoughts, man. My favorite part of the Super Bowl interviews was when we ended with Lance Moore. And he said, Joe Hawk yourself. And his response, <laughs> I, plan I plan to. to. <laughs> all right, everybody. Joe Hawk yourself. There it is.